listening to the Northside Christian Church Sermon Podcast. These teachings are recorded at our weekly Sunday morning gatherings in Springfield, Missouri. For more about our church, service times, and how to connect, visit northsidechristianchurch.net. Hey, Northside, I, I just want to begin by, first of all, just celebrating what God accomplished this last, this last week. You know, last Sunday we had Watoto Choir here from Uganda, which was just incredible. And I just want you to know, not only were we blessed by that big time, but church, you were a blessing to them as well. 51 people sponsored a child last week from our church at a time when, when they were trying to raise sponsorships over the last you know, three years. They've lost about 6,000 that they needed to raise. You sponsored 51. Plus, they said there were more happening online. We just don't have that number yet. That hasn't been given to us. I don't know how many in addition to that. But church, I also wanted to thank you and celebrate that you gave over $15,000 to Watoto. And that was in addition to a great offering that you gave Northside that Sunday. So thank you for giving of your tithes and offerings to the church and then going above and beyond that uh, to provide for Watoto. And that what a blessing that is to them. I just want you to know that. You blessed them. And not only that, but you blessed them with snow. Last Friday, the kids were running around behind our church screaming as the snow was falling. Some of them seeing snow for the very first time, uh, getting to play in snow. So you brought some snow to them, which was awesome. And uh, I just want to can we just celebrate with God and thank God for what he accomplished together. So thank you. So grateful. And then today, we are launching a new series today, Live No Lies. And I, I want to begin today by just asking a series of questions to get this rolling, whether you're here in person or maybe you're watching online today on this uh, super cold day. But uh, I just want to ask this question that have you, have you ever wondered, do you wonder why? Do you wonder why? You can't shake a habit. Do you wonder why you experience so many negative emotions? Do you wonder why your family is in turmoil or you fight with your spouse? Do you wonder why it seems that you are not only tempted so often, but so quick to give in to temptation? Do you wonder why you often make bad decisions? Do you wonder why you feel at times consumed with worry or negativity or anxiety or fear? Do you ever wonder why sometimes you just feel like there's this battle between your ears that just continues to rage and come at you over and over and over again? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you why. It's because there is a war that is raging in your mind. And this war is real. It is serious. Your mind is a war zone that is constantly under attack. Ephesians 6.12 reveals it this way, that you are fighting not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It is a spiritual attack. There is a spiritual enemy. It's an unseen enemy. We call him the devil. And one of the greatest tricks he's pulled on people is to, to make them think he's not real. So many in our society would say, the devil is not real. That's exactly what he wants people to think. But you know what? There's also an equally false idea among believers. And that is that he's irrelevant. That he's not a threat to you. That he's really not that big of an issue for you. 
or that he's not seeking to devour you or come against you. In fact, sometimes he's hardly even on our minds, and yet he's in our minds, planting thoughts and seeds over and over again. His primary target is your mind, what you think, how you think, what you think about. His goal is to plant enough seeds in your mind that it becomes a deep rut in your thought patterns that leads you further and further away from God. And he does it not just with those who are new in the faith. He does it with those of us who are mature in the faith because he's constantly attacking us through our minds. It's how he works. John Mark Comer in his book, Live No Lies, which I've used for a resource for this message today, he talks about the three enemies that come against our very soul. The three enemies that come against not just our soul, but our society as well. And that enemy that comes against us, we see it reflected in several different ways. It's not just a a war. It's not a war that's fought with guns or or with bombs, but rather it's through lies. And the problem is not so much that we we say the lies. It's it's that we live the lies. We think it, and then we begin to live it. And it's a problem. These false realities that that come into our bodies and then start, start to wreak havoc in our souls. And this battle is fought. We see it with the devil, we see it in our flesh, and we see it in our world. Those three things. In fact, this is the devil's stratagem. It's his strategy right here. Deceptive ideas. That's the devil. Deceptive ideas that play to our disordered desires. That is the flesh. That are normalized in a sinful society. That's the world. We have the devil, the flesh, the world. Will you, will you say that after me? The devil, the flesh, the world. Say that. The devil, the flesh, the world. That is the strategy. His strategy is deceptive ideas, disordered desires, normalized in sinful society. Say that with me. Deceptive ideas, disordered desires, normalized in sinful society. That is how Satan works in our lives. That's what he's doing. His primary strategy to disrupt our souls, to disrupt our society, he starts with the mind. In fact, in the late 4th century, there was this young intellectual. His name was Ebagoras Ponticus. And Ebagoras went into the the desert for the purpose of battling Satan to fight with the devil. That's what Jesus did. He, He read that Jesus went into the wilderness and there he battled temptation, fought against Satan there. And so he went to do the same. And over time, word began to get out that like he was winning. (laughs) Somehow he was winning. That's what the rumors were saying. So people began to go. They were seeking his spiritual advice and and to hear and learn from him. And they would, some of them would, would wander and go into the desert to find him. And when they found him, they would ask him how he was battling against Satan, against the devil. In fact, there was a monk and his name uh, was Lucas. And he asked him to write about the ways in which he was fighting against Satan and winning. Evagoras penned a short book. It was called Talking Back, a monastic handbook for combating demons. In fact, at that time, it was probably the most sophisticated demonology of all of ancient Christianity. But he was, he was writing about how he was fighting against Satan. And one of the words that he was using in the fight is what he said was a fight against what he called logosmoi. It was a fight against logosmoi. Logosmoi was a Greek word that meant thoughts, thought patterns your belief system. And he said what he was fighting against was the thoughts, mental markers, 
the content of our thoughts that were coming against his mind. And for Evagoras, the Logosmoi were not just thoughts. They were thoughts with malignant intent. They were those evil thoughts that come from Satan. In fact, each of his eight chapters began with an entry line, and the entry line was this, against the thought that, against the thought that, against the thought that. And he just identified that the way Satan begins to attack us is through deceptive ideas. Our fight is first and foremost a fight to take back control of our minds from the captivity of Satan, to liberate them with the weapon of truth. And I just want you to know today, I know you're sitting here on this cold morning, some are watching online, but here's the fact. You don't have to go into the desert to fight Satan there. Like, it's happening right now where you sit or where you stand or where you're watching. It's right now. He's coming against you with thoughts. If you've ever been like, man, why am I having these thoughts? Or why does that thought even come to my mind? Well, I'll tell you why that thought's coming to your mind. There's an evil one who wants to plant deceptive ideas into your mind over and over and over again. The battle is there. And Jesus talks about this in John chapter 8, 31 to 47. I want us to read this text together where Jesus talks about this father of lies, the evil one, Satan, and what he's doing. And he's talking to people who some believe in him and some don't. He's talking to Pharisees as well as to Jews who are believing in him. And here's what we read in the text, John 8, 31 to 47. The text says, To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching... You are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you hold to the teaching, if you obey it, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We're Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? I mean, whichever way you want to take that, it's like, what are they talking about? They were slaves in Egypt. They were slaves to Babylon. They were slaves to Syria. They were now pretty much slaves to Rome. I mean, what do you mean like you were never slaves to anyone? I mean, even in God's law, he had to make some laws about how they were to interrelate with slavery. I mean, that's, what do you mean you're never slaves to anyone? And even if they meant it in a spiritual sense, like, you know, well, hey, we, you know, we're, we're not idolaters. Jesus makes it clear, well, you're sinners, And Jesus replied in verse 34, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. No, you you are slaves to someone. Now a slave is no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you're looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I've seen in the Father's presence, and you're doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you're looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We're not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. It's both insulting and it's ironic. Insulting because they say they're implying something. Well, we're not illegitimate children like you are, Jesus, born to a pregnant teenager who was not married to Joseph. and So they're trying to insult him. But then there's something else that happens. It's ironic that they say our father is God. And they're talking to Jesus. 
And Jesus is going to make it very clear right here. Your father is not who you think your father is. You're, you think who you think your father is, that is not your father. And Jesus is going to give a mic drop moment in a, to, to reveal to them who their father really is. I mean, this, this is like a Luke Skywalker moment, you know, in the fight when, when Darth Vader says, no. I am your father. I mean, this is, this is like what's about to happen here. This is like Darth Vader. This is what's going to happen. He, and here's what Jesus said to them. If God were your father, you would love me. For I've come here from God. I've not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Jesus makes it so clear in this text. There is a devil. He is real. And his name is, means accuser. He is the accuser. And there's many names for the devil. Scripture calls him Satan and evil one and tempter and destroyer and deceiver and the great dragon who deceives the whole world, the ancient serpent who leads the world astray. Really, I say they're names, but really there's more titles than names. Descriptors of who he is. Jesus even calls him the, the prince of this world, the father of lies. He's not a fictional villain. He is real. And his attacks are real. He's the most cunning creature that's at work in this planet. And he is evil. Nothing good can be said about him. Jesus says from the beginning, he's a murderer. He's a liar. This is who he is. There's nothing good to say about him. Even, even the lady that I heard about who, like she would never speak ill of anybody. She was the most positive person and she constantly would speak highly of people and she would never put anybody down. And finally, her friend actually said to her when she was discussing this with her one day, she just said, I believe you would actually say something good about the devil. She's like, well, you do have to admire his persistence. Okay, maybe she found something good to say. But we really don't have anything good to say because he is the animating energy behind every, every tragedy, every atrocity in human history. He's hell-bent on destruction. He's in rebellion against God. It's why our world is in chaos and carnage. It's why following Jesus feels like a war because it is. I know that Military theorists are calling warfare in the modern 21st century. They're calling it asymmetric warfare, or also it's known as dirty war. Like it used to be clear, two sides, sometimes even similar power, but fighting against one another, there was a clear winner. It was symmetric warfare, but not today. You can have some kind of power or superpower like the United States fighting up against small jihadist groups or online hackers and it really becomes more a war of ideology that's not war won so much like back when we were going up against the German war machine and there was a battle and there was a clear, decisive victory. It's very different 
In fact, spiritually speaking, it's dirty war. It's more like the kind of battle we see spiritually with Satan where he attacks from every angle using deceptive ideas that he brings into our own hearts and souls, into our culture. It's a battle of ideology. We see it with, it's akin to bots, deep fakes, deception, insurgency IEDs, even opposing street rallies like we saw a couple years ago when in Texas you had this these two groups protesting across from one another in Texas and one group that had come together was stop the Islamification of Texas was one group going against save Islamic knowledge with the other group coming as only to discover later it was actually organized by Russian spies via Facebook ads calling people to come out against each other. It's, it's about conspiracy theories and fake news and grossly biased journalism on all sides. It's about latent distrust of authority. The devil's assault on truth wreaks havoc not just in the church and in the minds and hearts of people, but in our society as well. He's the father of lies. He uses it to destroy and disrupt people in every way. This is how he works. The devil, his primary means to spread ruin in our souls and in our society is through his lies. And Jesus is exposing the devil's work. He's calling him the father of lies, a murderer from the beginning. What what Jesus is doing in this moment is he's alluding in John chapter 8 to Genesis chapter 3. Where in Genesis 3, we find Adam and Eve in this perfect paradise. But there's one called the serpent that we learn later is really a personification of the devil. It's, it's how he's being alluded to. But he comes in in that moment to give deceptive ideas into Eve's mind. That's where he starts. And the first descriptor of Satan is that he is crafty more than any of the wild animals. It's a word that can mean cunning or deceitful or wily. And his first lie was a subtle one. Did God, it's just a question, did God really say you couldn't eat from any tree in the garden? And, well, that's not what God said. And Eve starts to clarify, but at the same time, she's caught, caught off guard. And the snake's next line was a little more forward. You will, you will not certainly die. You will be like God, knowing good from evil, which was partially true. And, but he's also playing to some of her disordered desires in that moment, even with what he said. And he began to tempt her. And it wasn't with a missile or a predator drone. Instead, it came in this moment as these lies planted into her mind. God's not as good or as wise as he says, and he's holding out on you. And, and, and then even beyond that, if you seize autonomy from God and do your own thing, you can experience something more, which is really the base underneath all lies that Satan is spreading. He said, you won't certainly die. And the truth is she did die. She died spiritually and relationally and eventually physically as well. And he just played into those disordered desires because she saw that the fruit of the tree was good and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom. And what we begin to see here is what 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 talks about when it talks about the lust of the flesh and the lust of eyes and the pride of life. This is how Satan tempts us. 
the, the, the lust of the flesh, the, the appetite. It was good for wisdom, for what she could have. And it was pleasing to the eye, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life that, I, I, that God doesn't perhaps know what's best for me. And I, I can go in my own way and, and perhaps there I will find happiness. And, and what Satan was able to do with Eve, he did with Adam and he does with us. We've all succumbed to the same thing. And notice how Satan does it. Notice how he, he brought about Eve's fall. It started by isolation. It was just her. It was just her. In that moment, she wasn't really in community. There was no other voice in her, in her mind right there in that moment to counterpoint with the truth. In that moment, we don't, we don't see God physically present at that moment. We don't see Adam physically present. She's like in isolation, which is how Satan works in all of our lives. If he can somehow just pull us away from community, that's when we're most susceptible. And that's when Satan attacks us the most. When we're not in community with people or, or with God himself, that's when we fall prey to his approach. And we, we've all done it. In fact, think of the worst things you've ever done. And it was probably done in isolation. Or it was done when you were around the negative influence of someone else who was near you or beside you. This is what was happening with the... It, it was isolation. But then secondly, it was lies. He used lies. Satan is a good liar. Have any of you ever had one of your children that they just were not a good liar? It's like as soon as they did, like you knew immediately that they were lying. A lot of times you even know it because they start to do it. Then they're just like, <laughs> I, just, I can't do it, you know. So, but Satan's a good liar. He knows how to lie. But what Jesus is looking for is people who worship in spirit, in relationship with the spirit and in truth. Spirit and truth. And, and you just need to know that it's by spirit and truth that you're transformed into the image of Jesus. But there's a reciprocal to that, which is isolation and lies that deform you into the image of Satan. You're either being made in the image of Jesus or of Satan, and his lies and his isolation deforms you into the image of Satan. And it happens over and over again. We ask, who is God? And Satan says, oh, he's an unloving, jealous tyrant who's holding out on you and can't be trusted. We ask the question, who are we? I mean, these are important questions. He says, oh, you're who you, whoever and whatever you want to be. Identity is self-defined. Morality is self-determined. Take control of your life. Be your own God. Make your own decisions. That's who you are. And we ask the important question, well, how do we live? How do we live? What is the good life? How do we experience the best life? He says, well, you can't trust God, but you can trust your heart. You can trust yourself. You can follow your heart and your own inner tuition, and that will lead you to an accurate map for what a happy life looks like. Just go with that into this very day. The lies that Satan tells about who God is and who we are and what leads to happiness, it, it may change from generation to generation, culture to culture, person to person, how he says it, but the actual underlying foundation of those lies does not change. In fact, we even see here the goal of temptation when Satan tempts us is to do a couple things. One is to seize autonomy from God. We don't, we don't have to live our lives in submission to him, but then also to redefine good and evil based on the voice in our heads and the, and our, the inclination of our own hearts, not in what God's word says or who he is. In other words, this is how Satan works. Deceptive ideas disordered desires, normalized in a sinful world. Devil, flesh, world. This is where our battle is. 
And what you need to know is that while our church is not an ethnic minority, we're not, but we are what sociologists call a cognitive minority. In other words, the things that we understand God's word to say in our culture right now is in the cognitive minority. And you will be labeled all kinds of things because of it. You will be at sharp odds with our culture because of it. You will face constant pressure from our culture to assimilate into the crowd. That's why Romans 12 says, do not conform you know, any longer to this culture, but renew your mind. Be countercultural. Come back to the truth of who God is. Because the devil is a liar, not just a liar. He's a really good liar. He's good at it. And sometimes we struggle to identify what a lie is when the lie comes. Like we're not very good at identifying lies. Now, I, I want to pause for just a moment because there is somebody who claimed to be really good at knowing when someone was lying. In fact, he said that he can always tell when someone's lying. His name was, was Michael Scott. Um, and some of you know Michael Scott has some really interesting things to say. But he says he can always tell when someone's lying. This is an important skill to have. So I thought you might just watch this, learn this skill. Here's what he says. I can always tell when somebody's lying. I just need to know two things. What the person is saying and what the truth is. And if those things are different, the person's lying. There you go. It's as simple as that. Know what they're saying. Know what the truth is. And if they're different, they're lying. See, see, lying is so simple to identify. And yet... That's not how Satan works. He is so much more cunning and deceptive. The most effective lies are the ones that are mostly true. And that's how he works. It's mostly true. It sounds so true. It sounds so good. In fact, in this series, we're going to be identifying and, and labeling some of those. The next most effective lies are those that are true, but it's not the whole truth. It's one side of a two-sided conversation. And one of the reasons the devil's lies are so successful is because of our own disordered desires in our life and the fact that there's an emotional value attached to it. Like we feel it and we start to believe it. There are some lies that that do not have emotional value. And this is what John Mark Comer talks about. He says, like, for example, if I were to say to you, um, Elvis is alive. Uh, Elvis is, Elvis is alive. Believe it. He's alive. In fact, you, you could go on YouTube right now and find a lot of videos that would tell you Elvis is alive. And a lot of them are just funny, but they'll say Elvis is alive. And you could believe that. And, and if you do believe that, I don't know. I don't know, you know, what that exactly the impact it would have, maybe not significant. And then if you Googled it and found out, actually, it's not true, he's not alive. Okay, no huge implications for your life. It doesn't have a a huge emotional value. But John Mark Comer says, the kind of lies that Satan uses, it always plays to our flesh. The lies touch on some deep fracture in our own soul. And so here's the example he gives. He goes, if I were to tell you, you deserve to be happy. And the example he gives, he says, so you can fill in the blank with whatever example you want to give, but he says, if I were to say to someone, you deserve to be happy. And let's face it, you haven't been happy. You haven't been happy in your marriage for years. Your wife's just not the right fit for you. You know, you may, it just so happens you married too young before you were self-aware. And this marriage just isn't what you hoped it would be. But if you were to divorce her, I'm sure there's someone else who would be a better fit and make you happy. 
He goes, now that kind of a lie, that kind of a lie, that touches on some deep fractures in our own soul where, where we're torn. Part of us wants to honor our incredible wife and stay faithful to our vows and to let the power of marriage covenant shape us into the man that, that God is making me to be that's increasingly free of my need to get what I want, but there's this other part of me. This part of my flesh that just wants to feel good and for that easy life or even chase a fantasy of sex and romance that's over the horizon. And He says, as you can imagine, only a few conspiracy theorists fall for the Elvis kind of lie. But many of us are vulnerable to the second one. It has emotional pull. And that's led us down a path where deceptive ideas play to our disordered desires and leads to a normalized sinful society. So here's some of the examples that are given that I want to share with you. And one of these that's shared is is from the sexual revolution of the 1960s. Because it set in motion something that's been a cascading effect that began with some deceptive ideas. You know, for a long time, there was a moral consensus around promiscuity when it came to our sexual behavior. But in the 1960s, it separated sex from marriage. And when that worked in tandem with the advent of birth control and the legalization of abortion, that separated sex from procreation, which moved to the legalization of no-fault divorce, which turned to a covenant into a contract, which separated sex from intimacy and fidelity. Then to Tinder and hookup culture, which separated sex from romance and turned it into a way to get our needs met. And from there, it, it moved on to LGBTQI plus revolution, which separated sex from the male-female binary. And the current transgender wave, which was separating gender from biological sex. And, and now the nascent polyamory movement, which is an attempt to move beyond two-person relationships. And John Mark Comer says, amid the revolution, the questions that nobody is, seems to be asking or really discussing honestly is, are we better people? Has this liberation made us more happy? Are we experiencing more fulfillment? And are we more loving? Are we thriving in a way that we were not thriving before this liberation happened? And when you look at the research, you look at all the results, he just started listing it out. And what he said is, well, frankly, happiness levels have been in decline in the United States, interesting enough, ever since the 1960s. And those who cohabitate before marriage, we're, we're actually less likely to marry or even more likely to divorce if we do. And in many cases, it develops long-term trust issues. That's what the research showed. Or the research even shows that oxytocin and vasopressin, the two chemicals released by our body during sex, which is our attachment system, gets our attachment system online and bonds us with another person, that if the more sexual partners you have, the less capacity your body has for intimacy. And then there's the much documented but very little conversation being had in our society about the effects on women's mental and physical and emotional health post-abortion. And then 25% of children spend a portion of their childhood without a father in their home. And there's overwhelming evidence that indicates that experience is both damaging to boys and to girls. 
or that sex reassignment surgery and hormone therapy for those who identify as transgender do not benefit the emotional health, which is the main rationale behind them, or the fact that porn is becoming increasingly violent and misogynistic and cruel. It's a multi-billion dollar industry that's actually intentionally targeting children now. Or that sexual abuse and sexual assault are getting worse, not better. That one in four women are going to experience sexual violence at some point in their lives. Or that in spite of cultural narratives that are stating otherwise, divorce is a traumatic event for all involved and for children of all ages. And we're learning it's directly tied to a rising number of people who struggle to develop intimate, healthy relationships in adulthood. Or as Mary Eberstrat put it in her book, Adam and Eve After the Pill, Contrary to conventional depiction, the sexual revolution has proved a disaster for many men and women, and its weight has fallen heaviest on the smallest and weakest shoulders in society. Are we better off? Are we happier? No. Why? Because deceptive ideas have played into our disordered desires, which has resulted in a in normalizing a sinful society in which we live, and we're not better for it. It's the way Satan destroys souls and society. It's how he works. And this is why Jesus calls him the father of lies. It's why we see destruction all around us. And it starts with our thoughts. Our lives are moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. What we think shapes who we are. The life we have is a reflection of the thoughts we think And what we think determines who we become. The thoughts we have in our mind are significant. And if you want to get out from the condemnation of the evil one and only hear conviction from the holy one, we've got to allow God to replace these lies with the truth of his word. We're going to be talking about that over the next 11 weeks, how Jesus has come to destroy the devil's work. It it happened when he came. It happened when he was tempted in the desert and he overcame the evil one. It happened whenever he would cast out demons out of people and he inaugurated his kingdom. It happened through his teaching, through his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his exaltation. Jesus has been destroying the work of the evil one. Even though the evil one right now is still in this world, Jesus called him three times the prince of this world. He's on a leash. And the war has already been decided. Victory is assured. But we're still in the battle. Jesus has not come back. He's not throwing him into the abyss once and for all. Not yet. And that's why Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 2.11 that he was riding... Paul's writing this in order that Satan might not outwit us for, and, and so that we would not be unaware of his schemes. That Satan would not outwit us for we are not unaware of his schemes. Say, Paul knew Satan's schemes and what he was after. And so over the next 11 weeks, as we battle against the father of lies and, and we take captive every thought, we are going to get on a new course to win the war in our mind to replace the lies with the truth. And one of the ways that we're going to be doing that is over the next 11 weeks, I'm going to be encouraging us every single week to memorize Scripture. Every week we're going to give you a verse to memorize. Some weeks might be just two you know, short verses. And, and, of course, you can expand that as much as you want. But we would like for you to leave this series with at least 11 verses memorized to begin to reset your mind to think on God's Word. The key is not just to think about Scripture, but to think Scripture. That when the temptation comes, you're able immediately to think Scripture. That's how Jesus did it. We're going to be talking about that here in a few weeks. 
But we want to combat the lies with the truth of God's Word. Scripture is going to be very important to us, and we want to encourage you to memorize it. I'm going to give you the text we're going to memorize for this week here in just a moment. And so we want you to memorize it. And then the second thing we want to do every week is we want to practice, put a practice in motion so that we're doing it. Jesus said even to these Pharisees, you know, the reason that God was not their father is because they weren't putting it into practice. They weren't doing it. And so we want to put into practice what Jesus is saying. I know you've probably heard the phrase before, hey, knowing is half the battle. Knowing is half the battle. But I want you to know that's not true. Knowing is like maybe 10 to 20% of the battle. A lot of the battle remains once you know something. It's are you going to do it? Are you going to practice it? Are you going to do anything with it? And so we, we know that it's doing it that reshapes our hearts and puts it into practice in our lives. And so we want to put some things into practice. Now, how this is going to work is a, for your easy access is every week after the sermon, I want you to go to our website. This will kind of show you going to northsidechristianchurch.net. And when you go to northsidechristianchurch.net, you just scroll down the page. And when you scroll down the page, you'll see Live No Lies. That's our series. And right there it says Access Resources. You click on it and it'll talk about this. But as you scroll down, you'll see week one, The Father of Lies. It has the scripture we're going to memorize. It has some social media images that you can share and the practice we want you to do. And so every week you just go to our website and you'll see that. Now, not only is that going to be on our website for you to do individually, but here's the real benefit of this. It's when you do it in community. And so our life groups are going through uh, the same text. They're going through this sermon series as they do their three-thirds and discussions and work their way through it. And in, in our life groups, you're going to be encouraged to memorize Scripture <coughs> and to put into practice something every week. Sometimes it'll be a PDF of something you can do that week, uh, different things. But uh, I want to share with you right now this week what I want to challenge you to do. The first one is I want to challenge you to memorize John chapter 8, verse 47. So it's on our website there, but it's John 8, 47. Uh, if, if you want to do more on that, you could also add verses 42 to 44. <clears throat> but memorize that text, that scripture this week. And then here's the, the thing I'd like for you to put into practice this week. I want to encourage you every day. In fact, you can get out your, your phone right now if you want to do this. This would actually help you so you don't have to think of it later. You get out your phone and go to your clock. And I'd, I'd like for you to set an alarm. I'd like to encourage you to set an alarm. You can set that for whatever time works for you. If you want to do this, the alarm to be the, the actual memory verse you're memorizing this week, you could do that for 847, uh, morning and p.m., maybe both. So when your alarm goes off, you're reminded in that moment to do this practice. And here's, here's what I'd like for you to practice. I would like for you to identify in that moment some of the lies, the deceptive ideas that Satan has already put in your mind that day. What lies might he already be planting seeds into your mind? He does that through his demons. He does it through his evil work. What, what lies are you hearing on that day? So start identifying those. And the second thing that I want to encourage you to do is to reflect on what truth might you be resisting from God? What truth? Perhaps for you, you're, that day the thought came to you as you're working and you're looking at your W-2s and you're preparing for taxes. You know, I'll never have enough. And maybe that's the lie that Satan's planting into your head. When in fact, the truth of God's word is you can be content in every circumstance and every situation. And he will give you all that you need. So I want you to start thinking about what's the truth of God's word versus what lie is being planted. I want to encourage you that. So you can set an alarm. And then I want you to label the alarm. That's what's going to help you is if you label it, live no lies. Give it a label and just call it live no lies. And make that your focus over the next 11 weeks. 
And I just want to encourage you with that today because our battle is for the minds. And I also want to say this too. If you're watching online today and you've got kids at home, and uh, I just want you to know that all of our children's resources today have been put online on our website, and they're all available right there on that page that I was just showing you. And you can just scroll down and you can find all those links to the videos and even some of the lesson material stuff that the kids were using today in our children's classes. I want to encourage you with that. And uh, so I just want to take a moment just to remind us what Jesus said and to pray together. Because Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, then you're really my disciples. If you obey it, then you're my disciples. He said, if you hear what God says, if you hear what God says, then then he is your father. Otherwise, if you're not listening and hearing God, your father is not who you think it is. And you're following a father who is planting his deceptive ideas into your mind, the father of lies. And Jesus says, if you would listen to the father, then you would listen to Jesus. And he is the son that sets you free. And when you're set free, you're free indeed. The truth of God's word matters. It affects your mind. It affects your thinking. It affects your attitude. It affects your happiness. It affects your joy. It affects your salvation. It affects your life. It affects your freedom. It's everything. And so we want to pursue Jesus with everything we have. So church, I just want to invite you to stand to your feet right now because we're going to pray together. And I want to say this. If you want to make a decision today to follow Jesus, I would love to meet with you. If you want to talk about something, I'd love to talk with you. I'll be right over here at Decision Point. But I want to say this. Our prayer team is going to be on the sides of the room today. And I want to encourage you to go pray with them. Pray against the evil one who's planting deceptive ideas. Pray right now for those who are under the attack of the enemy. And just go pray with our prayer team today. They would love to do that with you. If you're watching online you want to respond today, just go to northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision. And we would love to have that conversation with you. But Heavenly Father, I just want to pray right now that you would expose the lies of the enemy. There are lies that each and every one of us have believed that we're not even aware of right now because we've been deceived. And Lord, I want to pray that you would make that truth known. And Lord, we wouldn't make decisions and we wouldn't live out from that false narrative. Instead, we want to pray that the truth of your word would wash over us. Expose the enemy for who he is. He's a murderer and a liar from the beginning. And God, I want to pray that you begin to do a new work in our hearts and in our minds. God, I pray that we would live by your truth. We live according to your word. I pray we live life surrendered to you, that we'd hear from you. God, speak to us. Reveal to us those lies that we've believed. Lord, I want to pray that you do a new work in us as we go forward. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And our God's people say, amen. Thanks for joining us this morning, Northside. Before you go, make sure you check in and let us know you were here. Text the word CHECK to 417-233-1200. If you want to respond to today's service, you can do that online through Decision Point. If you want to know more about baptism or becoming a member, you can request more info at northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision. This is also the place to find out about our life groups, find out what sort of service opportunities there are, or if you just need to get in touch with a minister. And if you're online, you probably use social media too. Make sure you're following along with Northside on our Facebook page, Instagram account, YouTube channel, or Twitter. We are glad that you chose to join us this morning. As we head out for the week, let's make sure we take the love of God with us. Take good care of each other, Northside.